You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Mean Old Lion Media presents the history of being black. What up, though? Welcome to the History of Being Black podcast. I'm Jay Hall, and I am here today, and I low-key was loud maintaining myself because i'm just gonna go ahead and say it i'm here with a legend <laughs> miss olivia fox i'm gonna tell you why i'm not even gonna let you speak right now because this is this is the excitement that i'm maintaining i used to listen to you and russ Parr. y'all used to come on midnight i'm from detroit and when you guys first came on syndication you used to come on midnight in detroit and yeah like real talk used to come on midnight and i was like yo what are they doing it used to sound like so much ruckus and that was the first time in my life where when I heard the radio, I wanted to be where they were. I wanted to be where they were. Like, I didn't know what y'all were doing in there. Y'all were like knocking stuff over or whatever. But I wanted to be where y'all were. So when I tell you that this right here is an honor and I'm looking forward to this conversation, I want to tell you welcome and thank you for coming aboard off top before I forget and we get into anything else in our conversation. Thank you, Jay. I'm so happy to be here. And I tell you that story that you just told me means so much because, you know, as you get up in in age, you know, you start thinking about your life and your career and you're like, oh, you know, it was nice while I had it, you know, but to hear that, you know, folks were so impacted by what we did um, during that show, um, it means a lot. So thank you so much. And thank you for having me here. Yes, 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 absolutely. When Ken sent me the email and, you know, he he put the name in there, I asked, like, you know, I wanted to be sure. (laughs) So I said, uh, who's Olivia Fox? You know, which, which Olivia? He was like, oh, you know, she did. I was like, don't no, you ain't got to do the resume. I know. <laughs> like, I just wanted to be clear. Like, I just wanted to be clear. <laughs> sure. I just, yeah, I just, I just, I just wanted to be clear, you know. And off top, I like to start this conversation off kind of on the come up. But I have to say off top, finding out that you are part of the 30 black women in radio being inducted to the Smithsonian. That's a big freaking deal. Black women. That is that is that is a big deal. When you when you when you hear that yourself through your entire career and you're you're putting now they, they're putting you on this list. Right. And your name and I'm I'm seeing your face and it's up there. I need you to be truthful. Is it kind of like, man, you know, I deserve this or is it a about damn time? Um, Honestly, I just it caught me so off guard when I was first um, contacted by Felicia um, and black women in radio, it caught me off guard because honestly, uh, for the past decade, I've been out of the game completely. Um, and you know, I would go out from time to time, but you know, again, as you get up in age, you, you're not out on the scene. Like at one time we was every, everywhere. Um, so it really caught me off guard. And then as I learned more about the organization, um, as I spoke more to Felicia and learned about what this particular uh, collection is going to be about. And then when I found out um, the various women, iconic women of broadcasting that were included on the list, that the fact that they would just even consider me to be a part of that group, I, honestly, I was blown. I was completely blown away. And I still 
you know, as I was getting my things together for the collection. And when I tell you this, this collection is going to be mind blowing because you're really going to be seeing the history of black radio and the roles that women of color have played in it. Um, I just, you know, it's just, it, it, it takes you back down memory lane and you actually realize all the time and effort and moving and getting fired and getting rehired and all the politics of radio and just being a performer and an entertainer and looking at everything that you've done and the things that you were able to accomplish at a time when black women weren't in the positions that I, you know, was in at the time that I was in them. So to be able to be acknowledged for that, um, it it is just, it's just a true honor. It really is. Um, I hold no ill will toward anyone about my career because I honestly feel, you know, you're not the person who you are based on what could have happened, what it should have happened. It's really about the experiences that you've been through that bring you to the point where you are. And so I feel like I wouldn't be the person that I am personally and professionally if I hadn't gone the road that my my career took me. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the opportunities that I was afforded. I'm thankful for being around all the talented people that I had an opportunity to work with. And I'm also thankful that I'm still here and I'm still shining. So, you know, it's just I'm just grateful. See, when you say that respectfully, when you say like, man, you know, you you were shocked for me there. I, I, when I looked at the list off the top of my head, I can't name them all. There are a few women on that list who are part of my upbringing, like Frankie Darcel, Courtney Hicks from my hometown. I love Courtney. And I you. love Courtney. Right, right. And I had the honor of meeting her at NABJ a few years ago, meeting her in person. We met online years ago because I used to send her my demo. You know, so when she was in Chicago, I used to say, hi, no, you don't know me. I used to stalk on PD's demo, <laughs> right? So and we're going to get to that. And, and so, you know, when I see that, th- those are the three women and you were on mornings, right? And I think about how iconic all of you were, you know, with your voices and what you had to say and how impactful it was and how it would lay on people the next day and the following day until you crack the mic open again. You know, it was just so impactful. And, I, you know, I, I came from a very unique circumstance. I'm, I'm in Detroit, all black town. There were black women in radio. I didn't understand how much it wasn't a thing until I moved. Right. right? And then you're like, well, wait a minute. Where are the black women at? You know, like I, I wasn't even I didn't even know how much I was in a privileged position because then I moved from Detroit and then I came to D.C. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm right where they at now. Right. And I have to be honest with you. It didn't hit me until you left. I was just starting Howard. And then when you were going, that presence was felt. And I had not felt a presence being going on the radio at that time since our morning show guy, uh, Mason, the morning left when I was in Detroit. I remember Mason. And you, correct, right? So you know where I'm going with this. And so when, when you left, that impact was felt. I mean, this wasn't social media. So we were talking about it. We were in school. And this is back in the era to those who don't know, when you used to leave radio and I came to understand it because I ended up working at WPG. Okay. When, I'm, I'm, I told you I'm with you, right? So when this is in the era when, when when a radio personality left, they left, and you it took you some days to know, like, wait a minute, I haven't I haven't heard though, right? But with you, Miss Fox, it was instant. It wasn't no two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> it was not no. It was not no month. It was instant. Like, yo, where's Olivia Fox? Yeah. Where's Olivia Fox? 
Yo, I got off. I got off the um, red line. That poster that was there. Gone. It's not there no more. <laughs> Where's it at? Yeah. We need answers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, right. It's like, it's, and, and, and I'm like, no. And I remember this was, I mean, if we had even just Twitter at that point, to me, I feel like it would have been a different turnout. What was that like for you to see that reaction then? Did you, were you always aware of your voice and your power in that moment? Or did you start to see it once you had departed from the morning show? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think when you are um, at the level where we were um, and you feel like you've you've done your job and you were committed and professional and and were successful um, to be discarded as I was, I was in shock, um, of course, Uh, not really just for the position, but for, you know, the work that I did and the relationships that I had. I thought it was something that it wasn't. And that to me was the biggest shock without going into too much detail. I think for me, um, I've always been an emotional person and a person who feels. uh, And I think that that really incident changed me personally in terms of way, the way I deal with people and trusting people, uh, interacting with people and being very cautious arms length with people because I felt like I got burned at that particular instance. However, When I did leave, um, maybe about, uh, I don't know, two or three weeks later, I found out that I was pregnant. And because I was still under contract, I was still getting a check. And so, you know, when bad things happen, you think, yeah, I was still under contract. I was still getting paid. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So um, you can find me, but you're going to pay me. Okay. (laughs) Give me my coins. But anyway, um, <laughs> so, you know, sometimes it, and that's the lesson that I really got out of it. When bad things happen, you think, oh, my God, you know, this is the worst thing in, my, in the world. But God, um, it allowed me to have that year off to have my child. I was high risk. I was I had a look. I was part of the dusty uterus club. And so <laughs> I was having my daughter. <laughs> You know, they have a unit at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore for women with dusty uterus and trying to have children. And so I, I was, thought it was a season. You know, I thought it was a season uterus. Yeah. But, you know, dusty, dusty. season, you know, <laughs> I'm going to keep it real. Okay. Dusty. Okay. <sighs> okay. And so but, you know, I had an opportunity to do that and um, it was stress free. And then I'm telling you, when I tell you I was on the computer trying to figure out what I was going to do. Boom. Clear Channel hit me. And uh I just, you know, pick, pack, we packed up and rolled out and I went down to Tampa. And I think that's when it really hit me, uh, because sometimes when you lose positions of power or things that you love to do, you start questioning your own self. Like, OK, you know, and, well, did I get caught up in my own hype? Did I have an ego? And I felt like, you know, I, I don't know. But then when I got down to Tampa and I assembled my team, I was the, one of the first black women to lead a morning show in Tampa, Florida. And we turned it. When I tell you we turned it upside down, the whole market, then I realized, OK, you are a force. You know, you you went down here. You didn't know anything about Florida, nothing about the market. You put together a team and we rocked. And so I think after that happened, it really changed me in terms of the way I view myself professionally. But then, you know, again, you know, three and a half years later, we're doing it. We're performing. We're doing well. And boom, we got blown out. And so it continues. The cycle 
continues. You know what I mean? You just, even if you do what you're supposed to do, even if you're a winner, even if, you know, people love you and, and are support you in every effort, you can still get blown out. And that was the lesson I learned from Tampa. So yeah, you know, it's just the nature of the industry. It really is. It's not, to me, it makes no sense. Like people try to make sense out of it. I have a good friend of mine and we've worked together for years um, and been friends for almost 30 years. And he's always trying to make sense out of radio. And I'm like, why do you go, why do you put yourself through this? <laughs> like, well, why is this person here? And why aren't you here? And why is this person? I'm like, there is no reason. So, you know, I just stopped trying to figure it out and decided that I needed to get my own. And so there it is. But I will tell you one thing. It blows my mind. We're here in 2023. I left that particular show in 2002. So we're talking about 21 years later. When I tell you at least once or twice a month, someone will come up to me and say, oh my God, I remember. And they will remember things that we did on that show that I've been forgotten but they remember it as if it was yesterday and it blows my mind. But then again, it makes me think, you know what? You made an impact. You have, you impacted people's lives. You made people laugh. You entertained, you did the damn thing. And so you that did. makes me feel good. You did. It was, it was hella impactful because, and I'm just speaking from where I was coming in my corner in the universe, the syndicated black shows were the older demographic. You guys were in hip hop of the current, the contemporary, like in that moment. So for us, we were like, wait, you know, like they're talking from DC and they're talking and they're getting these people on there and they're talking, it was, it was a moment. And I'll tell you, when I was growing up as a kid, watching that episode of Martin, when they flipped the radio station to country, <laughs> it resonates different now that I've been in the business. It resonates so different now because when you just said you could be doing all the right things, that's a real thing. And people don't understand that. And I, I want to put some respect on your name. You know, was radio something when you started off coming up, you always wanted? Like, I know I, something, there's certain things I've always wanted. Have you always wanted to do radio or did someone say, listen, this child right here has a gift and they guided you that way? I actually uh, kind of I, I tell this story. I fell into it out of laziness. Honestly, I initially went to school to be um, an athletic trainer because that's what I did in high school. And so when I went to college, that was the intent. You know, I'm going to go because I love football. All my brothers played high school and collegiate football. So I've always loved football. And so I was thinking, how can I tie myself into the profession of football? Ah, be a trainer. And so that's what I initially went to school for. Uh, but then I got up in them ologies, uh, them, them kinesiologies and physiologies. <laughs> them ologies whoop my ass when I tell you. So because like my mother say, I want to apply myself. Um, I went to and, and flipped my major. And so I was asking this, and this is an honest to God, true story. And I wish I could take it back, but I went to my counselor and said, what degree does not require math and science? <laughs> she went through the list and radio and television journalism was on that list. And so I initially wanted to, you know, as most young girls, I wanted to be a star. So I got into television, but I realized that you had to do your hair. Um, and you had to be cute. And that takes a lot of effort. <laughs> so out of laziness, again, I was like, you know what? I need something a little less visual. 
And that's really how I got into it. I went to the college radio station, Mark Clark, if you're familiar with him. He's worked years in urban radio. He's now over at Fox 45. We went to college together and we worked at the college radio station, the historical WIDB. And from there, a CHR station in the, in the city of Carbondale heard me and they put me on and I did overnights and it just kind of went from there. And that's really how I got, <laughs> got into radio. And where were you from originally? St. Louis. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, so we're both Midwestern. That's right. Got it. I came up Got on I came up on Magic 108 and Dr. Jockenstein. I don't know if you know who Dr. Jockenstein is, but um, he was an iconic black radio personality in East St. Louis. And he was the one that came up with the concept of the roll call. And so I grew up. Yes, I grew up with the roll call every morning and 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 hearing him and and just for me, just real, real community black urban radio. That's what I came up on because it was always like so closely tied to the community. It was like you were listening to him and he was talking to you and your neighborhood. It was very community. And honestly, um, one thing that I think is 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 really missing um in radio, urban radio, is that connection with the community. And I think because it went corporate, we lost that. And to me, that was that that that's a shame because to me, that was what made urban radio different from all the other, you know, standards of radio. We had that connection with the community. We had our hand on the pulse of wherever the market we were. We knew what was going on. We had that tie. And um, I kind of saw that slowly uh, disappear in my career, that close knit connection between urban radio and the black community. They try to say they still have it, but they don't. They really don't. Well, I, I like to say I feel a connection with you already because my first on air was Overnights. And Overnights is where they, where you, to those who don't know, Overnights, that's where, you, that's where you build your bones at. That's where you can make all the mistakes in the world. And the only person who really is going to confront you on that is the trash man that's up at three yes. in the morning. <laughs> yes. You know, and, you know, or depending on what city you're in, you know, I was fortunate in D.C. doing it because people are up late. But still, you are you are making your way in the overnight when you're when you're doing that during that time period. Was there a standard to reach to? Where you looking at? Listen, I'm I'm going to be such and such. I'm going to be like you know, boom, boom, boom. Because by the time I came up, we had all of you to aspire to. When you were in it, and you finally got a chance to crack the mic, who was the bigger scale for you to try to get to? You know, honestly, at that time, I can I can say that I don't think there was anybody specific that I was looking to. I think it was more like I was just trying to survive. Um. You know, and if I can recall, because that was a long time ago, but I, if I remember correctly, it was always moving forward. Like, okay, I'm here, and then I'm gonna send my demo. This back in the day when you used to put them on cassette, you know, the paper resume, and you shoot them out all over the place, and wherever you hit, that's where you packed up and went. That was my career in the early parts of my career. So it was really just about going to the next step the next, the next, what's next, what's next, what's next. And I think it really didn't hit me about the syndication part of it until really till I got to Washington, D.C. And of course, it was it was all Tom Joyner, Tom Joyner, the fly jock. And I thought that was so amazing that this person could go, you know, do mornings here and then fly and do afternoons. I just thought that was just incredible. But I don't think I really knew 
what syndicated syndication meant um, in terms of from a black woman, because there really weren't, you know, a lot of high profile black women that were doing it at that time. How did you get the opportunity to do syndication? I mean, you're doing overnight. You like you said, you're pushing for it. You surviving. How does that opportunity come? Opportunity come you got out? a little time, especially when it hasn't been done before. You got a little time. <laughs> I'm gonna run it down for you. I left Carbondale. Uh, I worked with Mark Clark at this rock station. He got a job in Huntsville, Alabama. He hired me. I went there, left Huntsville, Alabama, sent my tapes out, um, got a job in Charleston, moved, worked there, did mornings there, fired, rehired, uh, left there, <laughs> left there, moved up to Washington, D.C. because my brother was an attorney. Um, I was waiting on tables. I worked part time at WHUR for like three years. That's where I met Ken Johnson. Um, he left, went to Boston. He hired me. I went to Boston, did mornings with him. And while I was doing mornings with him, Russ Parr called and I went back to D.C. That was in 96. We kicked ass from 96 to 99. And then all of a sudden, we want to put you on in Philadelphia. And I believe it was Detroit. Um, and then it just kind of blew up from there. And they just kept adding stations, adding stations, adding stations. And the next thing I know, we were talking to like 3 million people, you know, a morning and it just kind of went from there. Um, so, yeah, we were really uh, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, Tom may have been on Radio One, but, you know, we 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 put that joint on the spot because we were, you know, one of the first morning shows that they really kind of syndicated and just kind of stretched our brand out. That's why I'm always thankful to Kathy Hughes, because she allowed me to have the opportunity to have a national name. Um, you know, a lot of people always want to kind of put a rift between black women, you know, in every industry, but you know, people, there were so many rumors and stuff circulating about when I left. Um, and you know, the, 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 uh, press release that I put out, it really was the truth, even though I was shocked and hurt, you know, I was always thankful for the opportunity because, you know, after I left there, Everyone all over the country knew who I was and what my brand stood for. So, you know, I'll, I'll always be thankful for that. I mean, yeah, that's that's it. And, and radio, when you are in the creative field, I feel like it's a complex thing because the person who can who put you on sometimes can be the person that you go. And it's like, well, how do you walk with that? You know, it's like, it's like yeah, how, how do you walk with that? Like, yeah, you, you put me in this position, but you also, and these things and whatever, you know, and there's, there's a human quality of that that I think sometimes people don't necessarily understand that. And we're just now at a place, like you said, 20 years later, where we're starting to have these discussions about mental health and we're starting to at least have a conversation about humanity. But back then, that wasn't the case. At all. That, 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 that was not the case that Olivia Fox is pregnant. Olivia Fox might be dealing with things that that was not the case. It was a very much so a cutthroat thing. I mean, and now they're starting to have that conversation with some of the ways that people were doing was not justified. Um, yeah. I mean, when I was an intern coming in, they were they were making me run and go get things for them that I look back on. That's not part of my internship. You yeah. know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I'm not supposed to go see the man in 7-Eleven. <laughs> Exactly. You know what I mean? For your for your recreational habits. You know what I mean? This right, ain't got right. nothing to do with if you want it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This ain't when got nothing to do with that. Right, right. Yeah, you know what I mean? But you know, you're so green and you just you just want to get in and that. And then so for you, when you say you, everybody knew who you were, and then you go down to Florida and then you're doing the right things, and then Florida pulled the switch. I remember when you came back to DC 
and it was a rumble. It was a, uh-oh, like, what is she going to say? Because, you know, when you were in Florida, you were doing your thing in Florida. But when you came to D.C., it was a, oh, oh, is it is it about to be on? What Did did you kind of have, like, a kind of, you know, a little bravado, like, yeah, I'm about to come here and kick some ass. I'm about to show D.C. what it is. Was there something personal in there for you? It really wasn't. Time? It really wasn't, because at that time... Um... Oh, what did it be? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. Go it ahead. Go ahead. It wasn't because I at that time when I left Tampa, I was very, actually very, very sick. A lot of people didn't know. I damn near died in Tampa. Um, so I was dealing with mm. kidney failure and, you know, again, just looking forward, moving forward. Um, but as I, you know, as thing as time went on, because I think when I came back, I was on WKYS for like, I don't know, three or four months because they didn't really know what to do with me, but they didn't want the competition to snatch me up. So they were like, we'll make a spot. That's literally what they said. We'll make a spot until we can find somewhere to put you. And then I think the first of the year, they ended up switching me over to magic. And I was doing uh, middays, which was crazy. And during that time, the whole uh, management situation kind of flipped and changed. Uh, So we were in a situation where we were dealing with people that weren't a part of the community, uh, didn't know anything about the community, but were making calls telling us what the community wanted. And um, on top of that, you know, basically muzzling you where you could only talk. I think it was two minutes or something, something ridiculous. And that's when PPM came in. Um, so you couldn't say anything. You couldn't do anything. It, it was the absolute worst. As a matter of fact, I remember the morning that I got let go, I was driving, just did not want to come to work mm. because I was just mm. like, God, I wish they would fire me. Honest to God, truth. And right after my shift, they ended up firing, you know, getting rid of the entire staff. Um So at that point, I had just really, you know, had had it. And when I tell people about my experiences in radio, I kind of really compare it to like an abusive relationship. If you've ever been in one, which I have, um, where you just you you do everything you're supposed to do. You do everything you think you're supposed to do. You're doing the right thing, you know, cooking the good meals and, you know, doing everything. And you still end up getting smacked in the face And then you end up making excuses for that. Well, maybe I wasn't, you know, maybe I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do, or maybe I had an attitude, or maybe I was hard to work with, you know, or maybe I was asking for too much money. You know, you make excuses and you go back and you end up getting smacked again. And then you go back and you end up getting smacked again. So finally, you've had enough and you just escape and leave. And that's really what happened with me. I I had had it, I had enough. And I was like, I'm out. And that's what I did. I left. I was like, I can't take this abuse anymore. This is ridiculous. This is just ridiculous. So I don't think it verbally I said that, but psychologically, because again, back then they never weren't talking about mental health, but I went through it. It, Plus on top of being, you know, physically sick, like damn near dead and being in a position working where your management and people know that you're sick and still fire you and your benefits in like in, what was it? Less than 30 days. I mean, stuff like that, where you, you, you're, you're on dialysis, <laughs> you're working and go to the dialysis and then you get fired and you have no medical benefits. I mean, who does that? So those kinds of things, people don't know, they don't know the story, but I'm writing a book. You gonna know, <laughs> but I never, oh. ever, <laughs> I never, ever tried to destroy anybody. And trust and believe, I had a lot of information where I could have destroyed some folks. I mean, literally. But I, I, well, there I, were a lot of, I never did. I mean, 
I mean, respectfully, there were a lot of things happening like at that same time. See, and let me just do this for people because the language you speak in, like I get it in a sense where PPM hit. I, I had just gotten in. So I was one of those people that was I was I was just doing what I was told. So I didn't get a chance to get comfortable with the old way. Yeah. You know, so I came in in the PPM kind of umbrella. But you were going through your your physical, your body was going through these things. Then corporate is doing what they're doing. They shifting. And for those who don't know in PPM, I mean, I, I mean, even it's hurtful to describe. It, it, they only gave it to so many homes. You had to be making like a certain amount of money to have it. The most ridiculous and thing it totally, it, ever. It totally changed how radio was going. They, they were trying to justify it. I remember one of the corporate guys came to our station and one of his justifications um, was saying, well, you know, people are writing down the ratings and they're just writing the line all the way down. So this really gets it accurate. But then you had like a Christian station that might be number one for like 12 weeks just because the person who has it on is working their nine to five at a cubicle. Right. You know, it's like it's like, but does that mean that they actually are loving the station more and this and this and this and all this other stuff? So with you, when you were going through all that, experiencing all that and I know you said you walked away, but I'm not going to lie to you. It also to us, it was feeling like blacklisted because Olivia, when you stepped on the scene, there was never a silent moment. It's going to be wanted. So it's not like you were one of those people. Some people, when they come back, they're, they're crickets. They're not as like they where they were. That was not the case with you. I happened to be everywhere you were at that step. So when you were here, you were at Magic, you were making noise. So when you left again, it was like, boom. Was it a feeling of blacklisted or was it just because the combination of everything that you just, you just missed? Mentioned? I think it probably, probably was a little bit of both because everything I was hearing about my leaving in 2002 was negative. Um, you know, the typical hard to work for, hard to work with. She had an attitude. She wanted all the money. And, you know, we could get into specifics, but I'll just put it like this. My partner was making much, 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 much more money than I was. I mean, I could get into it, but it, it, it was, you know, when you talk about the Me Too movement and equal pay, equal work for equal pay, you know, none of that existed at that time. Um, it was just more like, you better just take this and be happy to be here. Even though I knew the success of the show was just as much on me as it was my partner. Um, but it, 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 it didn't go that way. And I didn't really feel like I was asking for an, a, a crazy amount of money. I was just looking for what was fair based on the market, based on, you know, cause I had attorneys. So they, you know, they were doing the calculations and stuff. It wasn't like, you know, just like an amazing amount of money. Like this girl's crazy. It wasn't crazy money. So anyway, uh, it just, um, it was a learning lesson. It was, it was uh, hurtful. It was devastating. It was wonderful. It was exciting. It was everything. But at the end of the day, I, I had had it, honestly. And I physically had had it because I was sick. I was, you know, trying to live. Dialysis is very, very hard on your body. And I had a young child and I went through a divorce. All this happened. And I lost my dad. So all this happened at the same time. So and a lot of people, they, they didn't know all that was going on. It was easy to say, oh, she was blacklisted because she was hard to work for and wanted all the money. But they had no idea that I was damn near, you know, dead on so many occasions and raising a child alone after divorce. So there was a lot of stuff going on. So I would say it was a little bit of both. But I think at that particular time in 2010, um, I was just trying to live, trying to stay alive. Really? Yeah, I read. I read that during your period of time, 
when you say you walked away, that your best friend donated a kidney to you? He did. We met. He was a radio listener from New York, Mike Green, Brooklyn. Um, and we met. He came, you know, we met through radio. He was a listener. And we just became really, really good friends. And, um, you know, folks knew that I needed a kidney. I wasn't really trying to get a transplant because I was scared to death. Um, and my other good friend who I met in dialysis convinced me because I was otherwise healthy other than that. And um, he went and got tested. I didn't know. And he called me and I was driving and he said, I got some great news for you. Um, I've got your kidney. That's what he said. I'm like, what you talking about, boo? He was like, I have your kidney. He goes, I'm a perfect match. We were a perfect match, like to the level of sibling matches. And I, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. It was just unbelievable, like God, you know, and uh, we went through it and did it. And, you know, a lot of people have, you know, problems when they when they get transplants, they have rejection. And I'm not saying it's been an easy road because I've been near death since then so many times because, you know, not to get all into it. But, you, you know, when you're on when you're a transplant uh, person, you're on immune suppressant drugs, which keeps your body from rejecting your kidney or your your donated um, organ. And so, but it also puts you at risk of developing all other kind of problems because your immune system is not strong. And so that that's a problem within itself. So, but long story short, I'm still here. Uh, next month will be 11 years. And um, yeah, I feel good. I've been a vegetarian for 10 years. My daughter's like 19 on a full ride scholarship in New York. And I'm at the place in my life right now where I'm just like, you know, this is please this punch. <laughs> and I get an opportunity to work with somebody that I've known for decades. And he is allowing Olivia Fox to be and do Olivia Fox. So, so I mean, really, what, can, what, what more could you ask for? Really? Yeah, you, but you also, you know, I, I, I can't allow you to walk off so humbly. You also have worked with the American Kidney Foundation. I have. You didn't just receive it. You've been an advocate for it. How did that come about? Um, I think, let's see, what happened with that? They were always, I was always active in the community. Um, I've always been committed to mentoring young people, public speaking, you know, talking to kids in schools. As a matter of fact, I work in the private school sector now, working with young children. So I've always had that connection. Um, but American Kidney Fund and National Kidney Foundation used to always come in with their various events. I think I, one time I was a spokesperson for the, um, what was it, special people who received organ transplants and people's families who took the step of allowing their loved ones who had passed to give their organs to recipients. So I was very much involved in that. I can't remember the name of the organization. Forgive me. Um, so I was always involved in that. So when it happened to me, um, it became really more of a personal story for me and, and, and a way for me to give back and to be an advocate. The last couple of years, I haven't really had a lot of opportunity to work with the American Kidney Fund because I've been dealing with, you know, other things. But um, the commitment is always there. I always tell my story. I try to, you know, encourage people um, for better health, better diet, because honestly, um, high blood pressure and diabetes plagues our people. And those are the two leading causes of kidney failure, which is why there are so many of us in these dialysis units. And our people, for whatever reason, we don't donate our organs. A lot of times you hear this, I want to go to heaven with all my body parts, you know, and there's, of course, this, <laughs> that's the truth. I'm telling you, you know, you have religious preferences. And of course, our people 
you know, we, we, we still looking at the health, health industry and professionals with the side eye just based on our history. You know, you hear about all these conspiracies online about people being kidnapped and having their organs taken. So the whole concept of organ don- donation is really, um, has a lot of negative uh, viewpoints within our community. Just, I believe, just from not people not being informed and educated in terms of what it means, what it really means. Uh, a lot of people don't even know they have two kidneys and you can live on one. <laughs> a lot of people don't even know where their kidneys are. They'd be like, oh, my kidney hurt up here by the wrist. Your kidneys are in the back. So, you know, <laughs> it's really about education. So that's that's what I feel like, you know, I'm here for. My purpose is to educate you know, entertain and impact the lives of others. That's really where I'm at. And do you think that there's enough being done for the black community when it comes to I don't. organ donations? I don't. Okay. Uh, but I do believe the American Kidney Fund is more committed to that, um, more so than any of the organizations I've seen. That's just my personal opinion, because there are organizations that, um, how can I put this politically correct? And I'm, I'm not naming but they're more about raising funds. These nonprofits raise money. And what people don't understand, if you've never worked in the nonprofit field, which I have, uh, what happens is not all, but for some, the money that is raised, people think they're giving the money to the cause. And what they don't understand is that the organization has these administrative fees. And so they pay in their staff and whoever else is a part of it. And then out of that, then the money goes to the cause. So you think you're you've got a hundred dollars to the cause, and maybe only two, you know twenty dollars of that hundred will actually go to the cause. You know, and a lot of nonprofits operate like that, um, unfortunately. And it's not just those you know related to kidneys. I think nonprofits across the board there are a lot that operate like that. So which is unfortunate, but I do believe there are some good people and good organizations out here trying to dispel the rumors of organ donation and how it ties to the African-American community and the importance of good health and diet and exercise. Going through what you went through in that and you walked away from the relationship, as we say, right, like an abusive relationship, what make you want to return? Money. Because you're t- <laughs> That would okay. be it. <laughs> All right, you can cut the show. Oh. <laughs> at this point, at 50 some years old, money, that would be the only thing that would bring okay. me back. Um, and I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening because I think that era of um, black talent being paid, because I know when I came to Washington, D.C., there were air personalities that were getting paid. I mean, the the scale, you you get paid. You're in good, pretty good living, six figures, you know? Um, and there are only maybe two or three males um, that are making a load of money, <laughs> if I could be so frank. Um, but there's only a few men. Um, so, yeah, I just, for me, it would have to be, it would, it, if, it, if it's about money, then okay. But if not, for what? Why would I why would I put myself in that situation again if I'm not getting paid? Well, I mean, no, I got you. And I, 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 you know, to be honest with you, my question wasn't necessarily relying on just radio. But what made you come back, period, because you have the Olivia Fox podcast show? What made you come back to the game? Like, period? Um, I think because one was a great motivation was seeing and hearing all these different people doing podcasts and 
you know, if, if, if you come up in radio in the era that I came up in, there are basic things that you learn about doing on air or in this, in this time podcasting basic skills, for example, knowing how to have a conversation with someone, knowing how to articulate a, a, a thought, <laughs> staying on topic, um, actually giving content that is going to impact and educate folk. It's okay to entertain. It's okay to shuck and jive, but you know, what, what are you really doing? And so I just felt like, you know, let me go ahead and do my thing and show these folks how to do it. Let me, let me, let me, let me bring some, some substance, some uh, training, some skills back to the game. Let me have an opportunity to, to speak on subject matter. But more important, let me get with somebody that I know who is talented, smart, skilled, professional, has a, a track record in doing this and knows what he's doing and can put me in a situation where it's going to be done right and they're going to allow me to be and do who I am. So all of those different elements were important for me in order to do, you know, what I'm doing. And I've been, I've bounced around a couple of times. I don't know, but I've bounced around in different arenas for podcasting. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, I just felt like I wasn't where I really needed to be in terms of doing what I, I want to do. Um, but I feel like I'm, I'm finally, and it's so crazy. It's just one big circle, you know, how things work, uh, that somebody that I, you know, really knew from when I first came to DC, the fact that after all these years and, you know, Ken's been everywhere and I've been everywhere and our circles have kind of, you know, come close, but not, I haven't worked with him since, but we always kind of stayed in contact. I always keep an eye on where he was. He kept an eye on me. And then all of a sudden it just clicked, just come back together. Uh, you know, it's just, it blows my mind really, but you know, I just feel good about the place where I am. I trust that, you know, I'm going to be on a network that is going to be about being professional and putting out a good product. That's important, especially if you have a brand that you believe in. I'm not going to be aligning my name and my brand with just any old body. I'm not because for, you know, for whatever reason, good or bad people, when they, you know, they may say, you know, well, she's a bitch or she did it. But there is no doubt about my brand. You know, when you listen to me, you're going to get the real. You may not like it, but you know, I'm going to keep it real. And you know that I'm going to entertain you and I'm going to make sure that you learn a little something, something. That's my brand. Keeping it real and, and entertaining and, and educating. That's what I've been consistently across the board for almost 30 years. So I have to align my brand with somebody that I know is going to keep my brand where it is and, and, and uplift and, and just start winning and, and compete. And so I feel like that's where I'm at and I'm a good place. So I think, you know, some things are going to be moving, but, you know, I just kind of, you know, we're, we're, I think we're 10, 11 episodes in, but I already feel like, yeah, we about to do the damn thing. <laughs> I just feel that way. You know, I, I love that you say that because when me and my partner, um, DJ Academics, years ago, not the one that's controversial, the actual DJ, when we first got into SoundCloud and um, podcasts, you know, we was we were doing it because we couldn't get on 
anywhere else, right? Like we recognize that the game is changing. I was in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I had followed the, you know, the blueprint of go to a small market and build your name. But digital media was 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 coming. And I'm like, listen, I know if I submit my demo to Hot 97, they're not going to look at it. It's like a rapper sending his demo right. to Def Jam. I'm like, I, I'm knowing this right now, right? So we found it a way to find our voices. And I thought that more seasoned veterans who've been in it was going to take that, but it opened the door for everybody. Literally, so I like to say that the great thing about everybody, yeah, and, and and so I always say that the great thing about social media is that everyone has a voice. The bad thing about social media is that everyone has a voice. For you being that professional, being in this game, trained and articulated everything that you say, because trust me, even when I saw your name, I was like, oh, I feel like I'm gonna be talking to like I gotta be. <laughs> Like, I was like, no, 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 no. Let me charge everything. I don't, no one talks to me. No, don't talk to me. Right. Cause I'm like, this is different. This you don't understand. This is different. You funny. <laughs> with, with your spirit. I'm just saying, I'm just being honest with you. There's certain people, you know, you don't even know why you do it. Your body just react. You like, yes. Oh, this is, it's like a, it's like a fraternity or something. I don't know what it is. You know, especially if you've been someone who's been admiring your career for as, as, as long as I have. But for you, when you see that this the floodgates have opened, a mess. Is podcast is podcast radio now? Is radio officially dead? I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. I think you know radio will always have a place. Um, you know, because there are a lot of people that aren't online. There, there are people in in my generation that you know they don't do the social media thing. So they'll always you know go to radio. Radio's still in cars. You know, people. I think people will always there. There will always be radio. But this new generation is Gen Z. My daughter, her the radio. What they don't they you know people think oh let me get the new music. They don't know anything about getting music from terrestrial radio. They're going online. For news, they're not looking at no TV. They're going online. Movies, not going to movie theater. I'm going online because you know they 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 got that technology. You know we paid what twenty dollars to go to a movie. They, my daughter be like, hey, I got da 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 on the computer. I'm like what? <laughs> I got Creed Seven. Like, what? <laughs> Why are you so lame? I mean, it's right here. You know, Apple up, <laughs> sit back watching TikTok. You know, it's crazy. You know, that that's 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 the generation. So um, I do think there will always be a radio. But I think as time goes on, I mean, if you think about it, these Gen Zers, if you didn't grow up in radio uh, and technology is just going to continue to to, you know, get better and better. Um, I'm wondering what's going to happen in 10, 15, 20 years to terrestrial radio, because you have an entire maybe a, a couple of generations of people that just, they don't know anything about it. You know, I know, uh, let's see, my daughter is 19. I remember the first time I got her a, some, some type of, um, electronic, I don't even remember what it was, but she was maybe in fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade. And so if you think about it, kids that came up after her that were in kindergarten, she's in sixth grade for six years, five or six years, they don't know anything about the things that we grew up on. And then think about the next generation that comes, you know, five or six years later. They don't know anything. You know, you see these kids now, the little ones, I mean, the little ones, the three or four year olds, they like little zombies. Yeah. So yeah. you have to think, you know, these kids, they, they don't know anything about, you know, radio, terrestrial radio. Like what? Yeah. Call in <laughs> tickets. What? 
<laughs> like when tickets? What does that what does that mean? Yeah. They don't know anything about it. And the island, the island, the island generations are becoming smaller. Like, for example, my goddaughter, I mean, my goddaughter is 16, my niece is 20, and they are in yep. two different worlds. What my 16-year-old goddaughter listens to, my 20-year-old niece be like, who's that? I mean, it's becoming where it used to be, you had to have like a 20-year right, gap right, 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 to be right. disconnected. You know, um, and, and I, I like to say when I was coming up, if my mom was in the car, there was, you know, hip hop at the time. I had to wait till six o'clock. And during that time, I had to wait till six o'clock. My mom would flip between FM and yep. AM. So even if it wasn't, even if it, if, if Motown wasn't my era, I was right. familiar with it. Okay. But the difference is, I feel like now is the Gen Zers, they're coming up. They don't even know it even existed because we're becoming so, there, there's no, there's no um, together time right. that we're spending. You know, there's no, there's no sharing unless you have to be intentional about sharing the cultures now. You can't just take it for granted. And so when you get upset, when your 18-year-old is looking at you and one day is going to say to you, who's Barack Obama? That that might right. be on you because because you, you have to be intentional now versus I knew who Jimmy Carter was even though I wasn't born, right? I knew about Nixon even though I wasn't born. You know, these things, I knew about these things even though I wasn't born. When you see that as a vet, how do you feel about the voices now and everybody, I mean, from athletes, um, I, I saw um, 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 with Brian Scott um, from the L.A. Lakers. He has a podcast. Like I'm seeing so many people now with a mic in front of them <laughs> right now, and, and I'm like, "Yo, me? Did people like you, the the Wendy Williams, and you know Tom? Did y'all make it look too easy where everyone feels like they can just try that? Because I can't get in the NBA. I can't go play football off top. Like I see you playing football. I'm like, nah, that ain't me. Can't do it." What is it that you feel about everyone now having a voice on the microphone and having some say and it have an impact? Yeah, it's uh, Jay, you know, this 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 part of conversation that you're talking about is is um, something I haven't thought about. But I think it's something that has, you know, strongly impacted, you know, the world that we live in with that. You know, we used to have a time we were in the car together. And even though you didn't know the artists, you heard them. Um, and I think, you know, our uh, kids that are 18, 19, you know, around that age, they were still riding in the car, you know, so that even though they, they didn't know Parliament, my daughter knows Flashlight, she knows, you know, Aqua Boogie, she knows, you know, Atomic Dog, because, you know, I exposed her to that. Uh, but again, like you said, there's not that that time. Everybody's in such a hurry. Everybody's in their own thing. It's just, you know, things are just a mess right now. So, you know, in terms of the family, that's a whole nother subject. But uh, I think the point that you made, it's like, it's a good thing because everybody has a voice, but it's a bad thing that everybody has a voice. It's, it's the celebrity, the celebrity. Um, I don't know. What, how could I say this? People give credit and and a voice and value to folks that don't necessarily need to have that credit and a voice. Let me give you a perfect example. Professional football, professional basketball. You have these athletes, premier athletes, they make tons of money. They're very high profile. Now, this is not always, but from my observation, you see these girls, you know, a lot of them may have went to college. Most of them did not, uh, but they end up getting with these guys, these professional athletes. Um, and then all of a sudden 
they are, their word is bond. They, they, they're credible. They're, they're put up on this pedestal. And I'm thinking to myself, why, how, because you're married or because you're sleeping with an athlete, all of a sudden your voice has value or your opinion is, is, is what the standard, like (laughs) it drives me nuts. I'm like, what have you done <laughs> other than married a professional athlete? Why are people giving you this, you know, put you up on this pedestal where you are, you know, on a show and you've got makeup lines and clothing lines because you're married to who? What did you do before that? It's either model, actress, trainer. Those are the three things <laughs> with the women, a lot of the women. And but, you know, for whatever reason, <clears throat> now they have a voice. And so it goes on and on. It's the celebrity. It's uh, people put equate celebrity with value, money with importance, material with, you know, that va- uh, being being having. Um, I can't think of the words. I just I can't put my words together. But you know what I'm saying? It's just if you have money and you have celebrity, then you are somebody. And so you have a whole general, another generation of people where that is their goal. I want to be famous. I want to be a reality star because then I can be like Kim K. You know, that was the beginning of it. You know, the beginning of the kid, the Kardashians when they came out. Now that's the standard. So it just leaks over into communication where everybody has a podcast and everybody has a voice. And then how many followers do you have? You know, that is huge. If you have a large amount of followers, then, you know, you're important. You matter. You're, you're, you know, well, that's so-and-so she's got 10 million followers, but what is she really saying? (laughs) So it's just, it's just the world that we live in. Um, I think that's what we're seeing in podcasting is that people, Everybody and their mama as feels like, you know, I'm somebody so I can have podcasts because I've got millions of followers and people are going to listen to me because I have value because I'm rich and I'm famous. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. And and to even take it a step further, it almost as if you don't even got to have technically a lot of money. You just got to look like it. You know, you just got to look like you're having a Monte on a regular yeah. Tuesday. You know, us people who are really in the field, we know you can't just have a Monte on a regular, you know, on a regular Tuesday, but you just got to look like you're out there just enjoying life. And all of a sudden it's because of you. I right. shouldn't trust the vaccine. And that's the, that's the, that's the part that I be finding. Wow. That I mean, and, and it's, and the influence it has, it has over pretty intelligent people. Like it's very easy to dismiss and say, yo, these people who are listening to you, they're all dumb, but even with some of my men, my, my brothers who were like really into Kevin Samuels, I was like, but are we at least not going to ask where this brother's from? Like my whole thing is like, where are these people from? Like, where who they are they? From? Did they learn? Did they read a book? Did, where, where they come from? Like basic questions. I'm not even trying to say you got to work in radio to ask these questions. I'm talking about when I was a kid, my mom told me don't talk to stranger questions. You know what I'm saying? Like it was the same thing. And we're just letting strangers just guide our moral compass. And I applaud people like you that are, you know, I don't want to say come back because like LL said, you know, you've been here for years, but I, I applaud you for being that person, take that will, because I feel like we need more. And Ken would tell you, I tell the doctors, I tell the lawyers, the judges, when they come on the show, I'm like, I those who be like, well, you know, I'm not really a surgeon. I'm like, we need you. We need the people who actually are in the profession. We need your voice. If you got to get your nephew, your son operated, please. But we need the professional people because it's too much of everybody saying it. So I'm just going to sway this way. 
you know, and I, and I like you, you have a technique that you said, like you talked about, and people won't even get it because you're so masterful at it, where, yeah, you might bring it up, but then you are going to quote where you got yeah. it from. And the skill set that you learned is how to deliver it. But you're not saying it's coming from you. You're saying it's coming from a certified individual who actually right. learned in this field. And you do it so well, everyone thinks that they can just get up and they can just do it. And they're going to say, well, I just don't <laughs> trust this. So I don't trust no shots. And it's just... <laughs> eating a steak and cheese you don't know what is that really steak but you eat that but you know I, it's crazy yeah i just don't get it so you know let, let me let me i got two more for you because i don't want to take too much of your time this, this is, this is so a great, great but... conversation we fit upon so no, much. no no it's a it's a it's really interesting no it's a, it's an honor i've been <laughs> waiting on this for 20 years i moved to dc i moved to dc in january wow. 02 so what you have to understand is this is a this is a twenty year ride for me and, and the path that I end up going. So thank you very much. When when you think about um the the deal between having a voice, being who you are, and you know kind of like being drowned out, you know by the, the noises and things of that nature. What is something that keeps you still motivated, being in this game and knowing that your voice is still going to reach those? It needs um, to reach? I just feel like. How can I put this? Um, I just really wanted to bring some credibility to the game. Not to say that what I say is what it is, but I just I just wanted to bring back some 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 or add to some credibility. For me, it's is disheartening. And this started a long time ago when they started putting people in positions in radio that weren't radio people. And I, I kind of, you know, make a comparison where you wouldn't bring a mechanic in to do surgery. You know what I'm saying? You wouldn't bring you wouldn't bring a dog catcher in to 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 make your meal in a restaurant. So why is it so easy to bring and no no disrespect, but to bring a comedian or a, a video chick or um you know, someone who has no kind of concept of broadcasting communication to the masses and bring them in because they have a following. That's when that really, I think, really, really started. And it's disheartening because you think, you know, where where is my value? They, you know, obviously they're not value valuing what real broadcasting people are bringing to the table. Let me give you an example. And this is a true story. We're in a staff meeting here in Washington, D.C., Room full of veterans. I mean, people that have worked in, in, in radio or in some kind of capacity 10, 15, 20 years. So we're in the room and this GM, who again, wasn't of the community, didn't live in the community, wasn't born part of the community. And I think you know what I'm talking about. And he said, we need to find some real talent. We're thinking about bringing in, true story, Superhead to do a syndicated show. I heard about that meeting. <laughs> when I, I heard about that meeting. Everybody in that Continue. room. Continue. <laughs> I was just sitting there like, mm, you know, <laughs> doing a hymn, like, Jesus. <laughs> and I'm looking around and everybody in the room, all black personalities, were looking at this man like, if I didn't need this job, I would get up and walk out this bitch like that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, really? Superhead. You say this in a room full of black, seasoned, professional, educated 
veterans. And I, we need to find some new talent. We're thinking about giving a syndicated show to Superhead. I knew then, I mean, I knew before, but I knew then what was about to happen to the industry. And from there, just because you had these kind of people making these types of decisions that were going to impact not only urban radio, but radio, urban radio across the country. This is the type of, of individual that were making these type of power decisions that were really going to impact you know, the African-American community all over the country because a lot of the shows are syndicated. So if you got somebody in this position that's making this type of call, this is the type of content that would be going out across the country. And people don't understand how scary that is from a broadcaster standpoint. We were just blown. Couldn't believe it. And, you know, it just goes on from there. So you get what you get. You know what's so wild about that story? Because, listen, I'm somebody that believes in growth and Lord knows I ain't in no position to throw no, no glass at nobody because we can do a conversation about me. And some of my people would tell you, they're like, <laughs> I don't know how he got where he is in that sense. Right. So I'm in no position to criticize no one. I'm all about everyone having an opportunity. But what I get from that story is that the, the gentleman didn't even say like Corinne's, you know, like there was no. You're not, you're, you're not even trying to induce her as a person. You want what she's known for at that time. And you're not even preparing for no opportunity to grow. You're not even going to sell me that she might have a different perspective. So you're not even selling anything more than that. You know, I think that's the bad part about it, not to blame it on the actual individual who gets that opportunity. But you yourself are not even going to deliver this in a way that can be perceived as anything more than right. what we know this individual for. You know, and that, and I think that's the part that you know that gets sad. In but that that, that was know, the that, to me, that was the turn. What? That was the turn in 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 yeah. um, media. Period. You know, because you remember, Real World came up. That was really yeah. the first reality series with the Real World or MTV, and yeah. it just kind of progressed from there. And it's where it's evolved into where we are now. But to me, at that particular point, you know, when you had somebody who was you know, a self-professed groupie and they put her up on a pedestal like, look, listen, this is, you know, and from Mm -hmm. there, it just kind of snowballed into what we, what we're seeing now. Yeah. I get you. I get you. What is Olivia Fox's Invisible Mic? What's the song or artist that come on and every time they come on, you are singing that song with all your passion or rapping that song with all your passion? Because I remember how I used to get down on the show and even when y'all were clowning, I can hear the passion in your voice in that. What is your um, invisible mic? Even though I'm from St. Louis, I, I I have always, always loved West Coast rap. So um, I think because when we came up, rap wasn't about the party, um, you know, bitches, hoes and drugs. It was more about let me tell you what is going on outside my door. Let me tell you why we're so enraged. It it really was um, uh, uh, an advocate for folks that were in a situation where they felt like they couldn't get out. They were being abused, brutalized, um, subject to uh, poverty. You know, the school systems were horrible. Let me tell you what's going on. But they were able to put that information to a cold ass beat, you know, rather than be zap, you know, that, that, that hard beat with that, you know, that whole era of music. It still speaks to me because the crazy thing is the stuff that NWA was talking about 
is, is still happening. A lot of people think, oh my God, you know, oh God, police brutality. Like that shit just started. I mean, it makes me angry when I think about it. Like it just started. This stuff has been going on. My father, who was a World War II veteran, I remember as a child, and I'm over 50 some years old. I remember as a child in St. Louis that police were beaten, like, don't get locked up. Be careful how you deal with the police. I remember my brother went out to L.A. to visit my cousin. They ended up getting pulled out the car with rifles to their heads. This was back, had to be in the early 70s. So this has been ongoing. This, this police brutality, death by police, it's been ongoing for, for years. But for some reason, you know, some people think, oh, God, this, you know, like it just started happening. But like I said, West Coast, they were talking about this a long time ago in the early 80s, early, you know, late 70s, early 80s. And that's the music that I grew up to looking up to, even though it was profane, even though, you know, they were calling women out their names. But they were telling what was going on with our people and how we were being treated. And I still I feel that tie. And it's kind of, you know, gone kind of snowballed on to um, Kendrick Lamar. He's the next generation of that style of telling what's happening. The reporter from our streets, what we're going through. Um, That will always move me and always impact me. And I can say the word songs word for word because I grew up with it. So I think we've gotten so far away from that that you don't really hear you know, a little bit, but you don't hear. And I think it was purposely done. You know, we could talk about that on and on and on. But I think it was purposely done to, to silence that type of rap. KRS-One. I mean, Black Cop. <laughs> Memphis. KRS-One talking about Black Cop way back in the day. And what happens? Black Cop, Black Cop beats a Black man to death. And people are like, oh, my God, this is oh, this has been going on. Our rappers have been talking about this for decades. So when I think about like music that that moves me, that I listen to, it's got to be West Coast rappers and that whole genre, even Pac and Biggie. But, you know, N.W.A., Ice Cube, Snoop, Dre, you know, that whole even too short. That's my age. I don't think people realize how much of a, a, a woman fan it's base Too Short has. It's amazing, honestly. It's 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 it's, it's amazing. Like if you see a Too Short show, you would see women rapping his songs word for word, and they don't skip nothing out of it. It is it is it is one of the most amazing things. And, and you know, people are always um, like, "Well, how see. can you listen to um, that music? It degrades women." He not talking to me. That's the way I. <laughs> <laughs> The great Chris Rock quote. He ain't talking to so me. I impact maybe he he's talking, talking to you. Me. He ain't talking to me. He ain't talking to me. He ain't talking to my mama. He ain't talking to my daughter. He ain't talking to my nieces. They not. He's not talking to me. So I can, you know, I can separate it. Maybe he's talking to you. Maybe that's why you're so sensitive. I get it. But he was never talking to me. So I never took it, you know, oh, calling women boy. He ain't talking to me. Yo, this is this has been wonderful. Um Olivia Fox, Miss Miss Fox, you know if I can call you that, just it, it's respect for me to say that to Miss Fox. You know we like to tell people who come on the show the first time that this is a yes. final, this is an open door. So please, please, if there's ever a time you want to talk about something in particular, you know you like listen, we need to go, we need to get in this. Please, 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 please come through this door all the time. The door for you is open <laughs> to come in and out, in and out as many times as you want. 
Um, if you just want to come on here and say, listen, this is what we need to know. It's something we need to share light on. Jay, it has you know, been, it has been um, um, a pleasure and honor. And it's really been uh, eye-opening because a lot of the, the subject matter that you've been talking about, um, I haven't really thought about. But it's definitely something that needs to 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 be talked about. And I'm going to say that I want to invite you on my show as well, because we we came up in the same. I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> we came up in that same I mean, era of radio I mean, communication. So it's refreshing to talk to somebody that gets it because a lot of people don't. So I just appreciate the opportunity. This has been great. And I'm actually look, really looking forward to to listening to this and and forwarding it on to other people because I think we've hit upon a lot of information that people could benefit from. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. I like to feel that conversations like this are the are the doorway to more conversations that have in the future. And so that's the thing I like to do. I like I like to plant the seeds and you know when Ken approached me as opportunity, that's one of the favorite things I like to kind of get into is to be able to have conversations like this. So you know thank you for that. And if there's any way we can help you uh something that you got going on Please feel free to let us know. So I just want to end on this note. I say to you, Olivia Fox, legend, and you say. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Honestly, thank you. I think when you're doing what you love to do, you don't think about it. You just do it. And so to hear someone who is in the same field, has come up in the same, you know, era of radio to hear you give me that accolade. Thank you. Thank you. It means it means a lot to me. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got into this game in 04. And so you're one of those individuals that I was like, you know, champion for. Even when I evolve and to do other things, I never forget like who turned the lights <laughs> on for me as Tony. Yeah. Right. Like who turned the lights on for you, you know, to make you say, yo, yo, that's dope right there. You know, I never forget that. So thank you for your contributions in the past. Thank you for your contributions in the present. And thank you for your contributions moving forward in the future. <laughs> and yes, I'll be on your show tomorrow. Just I let you know, I'll be on there anytime you need. I appreciate you. So that just let you know. Yeah, that just that just lets you know. You know, just let me know. So yeah, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm going to hit the follow button on your IG now. I had Yay. it up for a minute just so you can see that it's me. <laughs> and, um, you know, <laughs> uh, we appreciate you. So yeah, so thank you very much. That, that was great. Thank, thank you. you. This has been a great episode of The History of Being Black. As usual, you can hit us up on our Instagram, My History of Being Black. Also, Mino Lion on IG. You can find the latest episode, this episode with the legend Olivia Fox. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're on the other one. I can't necessarily pronounce that well. And we're also on Spotify again. And as always, you can follow me on my social media at Jayhaw Society. Be blessed and successful. And we will talk to you soon. We go. The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O-Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O-Line Media. Get the Mean O-Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O-Line Media production. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 
Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.